guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a great episode with Zach Griffith of Summit Productions. And uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. And it's always great to talk with Zach. And I know a lot of you follow him on his Instagram and on his YouTube channels. And I encourage you to do so. There's some great content in there. Um, and we're going to get uh, down to the nitty-gritty with uh, Zach on this podcast. Um, and before we get to that, I want to point out a few things. Uh, I, I hope you guys are taking advantage of the sponsors of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. And that sounds kind of bad, taking advantage. I want to say taking advantage of the offers that they're giving you as the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. Uh, for instance, did you know that if you go to phonescope.com and you order phonescope, uh, any of their uh, uh, phonescope adapters or, or any of their accessories, that you automatically get a 10% discount just by using the J. Scott promo code. As well as if you go to Utah Hydrographics and you want to get anything dipped, you get a 10% discount. Uh, and then there's cert certain large ticket items that your discount, if you've listened to the following commercial in this podcast, you'll hear that. But uh, you, you get great discount at Utah Hydrographics using the J. Scott Outdoors uh, uh, promo code. Uh, guys, Outdoorsman's 10% off all the products at the Outdoorsman. So all you have to do is call up the Outdoorsman's. Or go online and enter the J. Scott promo code. Or just call them up and say, hey, I want to use the J. Scott promo code. I want my 10% discount. Those guys at the Outdoorsman's have unreal optics. Uh, they're the optics authority. Uh, they know everything there is to know about optics of all kinds. Uh, and they have great accessories, tripods, bino adapters, backpacks, uh, walking sticks, you name it. They've got incredible selection. And then Wilderness Athlete. All you have to do is use the J. Scott promo code. You get 10% off everything at Wilderness Athlete. Also, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines, uh, they're doing a drawing July 15th. They are going to be picking one name out of a hat and that person is going to get a $1,500 Swarovski credit through the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix. So if you win that, you automatically get credited $1,500 towards any Swarovski product. All you got to do is go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and you'll be prompted to enter your email address. They've promised me they're not selling your email address. Uh, they're not going to just bombard you with junk mail. Um, but all you have to do is enter your email address, and they're going to be given a $1,500 credit away. Uh, also, GoHunt.com Insider has been the title sponsor from of my podcast from the beginning. And if you use the J. Scott promo code when signing up, you're automatically going to get a $50 Kuyu gift card. And who doesn't want to get a $50 Kuyu gift card? Uh, GoHunt.com Insider has absolutely the best filtering 2.0 system, which gives you all the state draw odds information, uh, all the harvest data. Uh, you get also, as an insider, you get a chance to uh, win 
the the monthly giveaways and I mean they gave a $22,500 doll sheep hunt away they've given antelope hunts away mule deer hunts elk hunts they gave two uh, go hunt insider uh, uh, insider members uh, coos deer hunt with dark Holburn and myself two spots um, and and all you have to do is be an insider member once you sign up you're automatically entered in the drawing uh, every single month and uh, you know I just want to make sure you guys know that you can absolutely um, take advantage of the offers that these uh, great sponsors of my podcast are doing so I hope you're doing that uh, a couple other things I want to bring to your attention uh, one of which is on the gohunt.com website and you can just go to gohunt.com and you can click to um, the section uh, that's talking about uh, let's see here it's called the life and if you click on the life it's drawing to win a 2016 Colorado uh, uh, mule deer tag and $25 you can win a hunt of a lifetime uh, all you have to do is uh, be in the drawing they give a couple tags away for um, the seat this the Colorado Mule Deer Association uh, has two governor's tags available this year one is a raffle tag and one is a live auction tag neither tags require the winner to be present so obviously you can pay high dollar and and buy the governor's tag or you can buy for 25 bucks you can buy a ticket that goes in obviously in the drawing and you have a chance to hunt mule deer all over the state of Colorado and who doesn't want to spend 25 bucks for a chance to win a hunt of a lifetime and also support conservation if you're interested in purchase purchasing tickets you can go on gohunt.com uh, under the life section and uh, find the information there uh, where to enter the drawing for mule deer uh, that drawing is going to be held July 23rd 2016 at the Colorado Mesa uh, University Ballroom and uh, if you want to go to the to, if you want to go to the event it's 85 bucks a person or 150 a couple uh, but uh, check out gohunt.com uh, for the links uh, to where you can uh, sign up to have a chance to win also like we did last year I want to make sure that you guys are aware about the Arizona big game super raffle uh, you can buy for $20 you can get a chance at an antelope five bucks black bear 20 bucks buffalo 10 bucks coos whitetail 25 bucks desert bighorn 25 bucks elk five for javelina five for mountain lion 25 for mule deer 10 for their uh, the turkey tag uh, $10 for the optics package and $20 for the New Mexico elk hunt um, so all you have to do is go to Arizona big game super raffle.com and the drawing the mail order deadline is July 8 2016 all orders must be received by this date and you can actually go go on and and order through the mail or you can do it online online sales in J July 10th 2016 10 p.m. Mountain Standard Time 
You can literally go on ArizonaBigGameSuperRaffle.com and order your tickets right online. You can pay with the credit card. And I can tell you, Dara and I have been fortunate to uh, guide the uh, Arizona Big Game Super Raffle Desert Bighorn Sheep Hunter, uh, I believe, five years. And in those five years, we've taken guys that have just bought a ticket or two. It's not like the guys were taken by, you know, 20,000 tickets. This, this is, you know, everyday Joe's that, that, you know, spent $25 on desert bighorn through the Arizona big game super raffle and have won a 365 day tag that they can hunt the whole time. And you know, the, the, um, the mule deer, you can go hunt the Arizona Strip. It's just like a governor's tag. The elk tag, you can go hunt. It's just like spending, you know, $250,000 to $400,000 uh, to go hunt, uh, just like someone that spent that kind of money. And um, all the money goes to conservation. Um, and it's, it's, it's a great cause. I encourage you guys go to Arizona Big Game Super Raffle and uh, order your tickets. Um, that covers it on my end. Uh, the waters are finally clearing here in Colorado and the float fishing season is right around the corner. Uh, I've been diligently uh, working on uh, getting in really good shape. I've been uh, covering a lot, of, a lot of trails around here in the Carbondale, Colorado area where I am uh, live in the summer. And I have the fortune of uh, working out at, uh, you know, 6,000 to 12,000 feet. And so after another 60 days, I'll be ready for my elk hunt there in Utah. And uh, I encourage you guys to, uh, you know, hit the trail this summer and really get in shape and hit the gym. And you're going to get some great tips here from Zach Griffith on diet, on nutrition, on on weightlifting, on, you know, shooting your bow and, and, and some of the tricks, tuning your bow and some of the tricks that he's learned. And uh, it's just an exciting time for us hunters. I would like to encourage you guys to follow me on Instagram at jscottoutdoors. I would encourage you guys to use the hashtag jscottoutdoors or jscottoutdoorspodcast on your Instagram. I uh, love seeing uh, that hashtag used and and I uh, love getting the messages. If you'd like to send me a message through Instagram or through Facebook, jscottoutdoors Facebook. Um, that would be great. Also, emails. Uh, we're going to do a couple of um, episodes coming up here that I'm just going to be answering questions. You can send your questions, please, to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. And I look forward to uh, responding to all of those questions. Um, and I, I do have to say one thing. There, there's a guy that has said that he's uh, sent me four email messages and that I have not responded, and I have responded each time. I don't know if my message is going into your spam or your junk mail, um, but you're asking me about uh, coos deer hunt and why uh, I love coos deer so much and why uh, people fall in love with coos deer, and I have responded several times. And um, if I don't get a message back from you, I'm going to cover that in an upcoming episode here. Uh, but please don't think that I don't see your message because I do and I have responded every single time. 
I've got something on your end that's not allowing the message back, I think. So jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Send me whatever questions you have. I'm going to have some episodes where I just answer them myself, and then I'm going to have some guests on, and we'll all answer your questions. So send me the questions. Keep working out. uh, Keep shooting your bows. Keep getting everything all dialed in. And I know guys are running strings of trail cameras and they're out glassing big basins. And, you know, we're right into the part of the season here, uh, you know, starting July 1st when the antlers on the deer and elk, um, you know, are taking shape. And um, this is the time of year that we all love. So make sure you support those sponsors. And uh, let's get right to the episode with Zach Griffith. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Zach Griffith of Summit Productions. Zach, how you doing? Awesome, man. Great to be back. Yep. Uh, got great feedback from the first podcast episode that you were on with me. And uh, first and foremost, Zach, uh, what's been going on with you since we last talked? I mean, I know you got married. I got to meet uh, your lovely bride up at the Western Hunting uh, Expo up in Salt Lake City. And uh, uh, what's going on with you, bud? No, it was awesome to meet you officially. I mean, you you don't sound six foot five on the, the radio or on your videos. But when I met you, I was like, man, this guy's a monster. <laughs> it was cool to finally, you know, you know, the social media phenomenon that we all have these relationships and friends, friendships, but we've never actually physically connected. And so, you know, seeing you and shaking your hand and just, you know, shooting the breeze was actually really fun. And thank you uh, for the, the marriage stuff. That was uh, been a crazy year. Lots changed. And uh, I feel like I'm in a good place. And I feel like uh, that Rocky and I have a really um, a nice uh, synergistic relationship when it comes to hunting and, and training, fitness and stuff like we're, we're very much on the same page. And I think we've got a lot of a lot of fun experiences coming Um App season has been really flat. I haven't drawn hardly anything. I did I did pull a late tag for uh, elk in Arizona. wasn't really a premium tag, but I wanted to go for opportunity. And then, other than that, I haven't drawn anything. And I have a lot of points in Nevada, Utah. Uh, you know, it's just been kind of a downer that way. But you know, I'll always fill in the gaps with general tags and hopefully have a good fall. Yeah, for sure. So the Arizona tag you have is one of those late archery elk seasons. I, I assume it's one of those November tags. It's a rifle tag. Oh, it's a rifle. Okay, rifle. Yeah. So a, a late elk rifle hunt. Uh, so the timing of those seasons. What is that? The first part of last part of November, first part of December. Correct. Yeah, Thanksgiving weekend. So we'll we'll get in there Tuesday or Wednesday, have a Thanksgiving on the mountain, and then. Hopefully, you know, I, I'm a long-range guy, so, you know, I've definitely chose that loan or that um, that tag for a reason, and, you know, I want to get in there and have fun with it. So um, we'll definitely look and be selective, but we've only got four or five days. So, you know, my dad drew it as well. He's the priority. He just built a gun. So we'll try to knock him one down and then maybe stumble onto something real big. You never know. Yeah, you never know on those late hunts. You know, I haven't guided those late elk hunts in in many years, but I always remembered. It seemed like uh, uh, Thanksgiving was always the the, the season always started uh, the Friday right after you know Thursday. Thanksgiving's always on Thursday, and um, seems like that season always started the next Friday. And I can remember spending a lot of times, uh, you know, Thanksgiving Day. 
you know, eating a, a quick meal and, um, you know, jetting up to uh, the mountains. And, you know, some of the times we just had Thanksgiving dinner in our camp and our hunters were already there. And um, those late hunts, uh, you know, can be extremely rewarding. Um, and at the same time, uh, I found them to be uh, frustrating in the fact that, uh, you know, it's either it for me, it's either you're in them or you're not in them. You know, exactly. you've either found, found the place where the bulls are at and where they're hanging. And, you know, once you do that, you know, you may look at 50 bulls in a, you know, in a season, uh, you know, a seven day hunt. Um, you know, but if you're not in the pockets where they're at, um, it can be difficult. And maybe you can only see, you know, a couple bulls the whole time. Yeah, and they move, uh, and they're never consistent year after year. I mean, there's general areas, but like you said, there's pockets. And it's amazing how such a big, robust animal can just get swallowed up in the cedars and in the timber. It's just it's fascinating to me how they just disappear. So, yeah, it's a fun hunt. It's late in the year, you know, usually winding down a little bit. Where I'm usually in just tip-top shape, so... We're going to cover a lot of country. We we're big glassing fanatics, so we're just going to get high, set up the tripod, and just kill, kill the mountain apart. So I'm always excited about those types of hunts. I think they're fun. Nice change of pace. Yeah, and I mean, it seems as though, you know, in a, in a lot of the Arizona units, um, you, you know, if you can find those, you know, kind of those dark uh, northeast-facing slopes, you know, some of the thicker timber, thicker brush, manzanita, um, that, you know, you can find those bulls. And I know that, you know, like, um, in, in other States as well, uh, those, those late season bull tactics, you know, a lot of times if you can go into those deeper canyons, uh, where they've got quite a bit of shade and feed where they don't really have to move a lot, um, you'll, you'll usually find a pot of bulls and especially, you know, you, you might find, as soon as you find one bull, you probably find a, you know, a group of five or six bachelor bulls. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can compare them and pick through the, you know, sort through the, the inventory. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your dad, uh, built a rifle. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what rifle you're going to use for the hunt and what rifle did he build? And was it specifically for this hunt or, uh, just a, a general rifle that he was building for elk hunting? My dad, my dad wanted a real general rifle. That's, that's just versatile for who's deer all the way up to elk. And so he went with a 300 wind mag. Uh, he bought a Winchester. It's an ultralight stainless series. I'm not sure what it's called exactly, but beautiful gun, super thin barrel, thin stock. Um, he's putting a, one of those new Vortex Razor uh, HD top, uh, scopes on top of it. And I think, you know, with a, a good turret um, and, and a custom hand load that we'll build for it, I, I'm sure it'll be a thousand yard gun. Uh, for most animals, an elk maybe seven fifty eight hundred. Um, I shoot a three hundred ultra mag built by Alliance Custom Armory. Uh, the gun is is a carbon monster. It's carbon proof research barrel, carbon McMillan stock. It's just a it's a lightweight. It's a hammer. It's absolutely the coolest gun I've ever had. And it's a it's got a dual trigger on it, set super light. And I've, I've got my first gen Vortex Razor HD scope on top of it, which weighs like 14 ounces so it's kind of contradictory to, to build a carbon rifle and then throw a one pound scope on it with those big rings but it's just got a big tube lots of light um, and it's been very very reliable so 
my 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 setup for my gun is is awesome. And this year we bumped up to a 220 grain bullet um, just because of a higher ballistic coefficient and also downrange retained energy. Um, we've we've been shooting 180 grain Sirocco's uh, handloads for the last four or five seasons, and they've never let me down. But at long range, they, 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 the energy dissipates quickly, and I don't think they expand fully at lower energy levels, whereas with these softer-pointed um, bullets we're looking at now and stuff, like we feel like we're going to have a lot better downrange impact and energy and stuff like that. So just tinkering around. I mean, it, it hasn't been broken, but we're still trying to fix it, you know. Right on. Yeah, it's always um, the search for uh, trying to get better and um that leads me to one of my first questions that I want to talk to you about on this podcast episode is um, I know you're uh, big into archery. Uh, I want to talk to you about your archery setup uh, from the past and, and to its current stage. Um, but before that, uh, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about uh, your love for archery and the amount of arrows you shoot and time you spend um given a little bit of background uh with your love for archery you know i i I wasn't a bow hunter until i moved to arizona um i moved in uh to north uh, phoenix glendale area and you'll laugh when you hear this but my uh, neighbor was matthew or matt lillenquist and he's an accomplished archer he's a guy a sheep nut absolute one of the most successful hunters i've ever met in my life and uh, he was a PSE pro, still is, and, uh, you know, as a neighbor, I was pretty cocky, thought I was a good hunter, and then I met Matt and realized I didn't know anything, and so uh, with bow hunting especially, you know, as a rifle hunter, I, I knew how to glass, I was in shape, I could cover country, and you know, kill deer, but I didn't learn how to hunt, quote-unquote, until I bow hunted, and Matt was a huge mentor of mine because uh, not only was he ultra-successful, uh, but he's also very selective. I mean, Matt's one of those guys that'll draw you know, 10 tag and he'll hunt 12, 13 days and not knock an arrow because he wants to kill a 400-inch bull and he's willing to pass a, a 385 uh, without any hesitation to get there. And I learned a lot about his discipline and self-control. I watched him shoot. He helped me shoot, um, got me set up with the PSD first-generation X-Force, uh, loved the bow, um, and I, I think without Matt, I don't think I ever would have bow hunted. Or if I had gotten into it, I would have gotten off on a different set of tracks and probably taken a different course, you know. So uh, fortunately, I was, you know, just kind of birthed into the, the industry by what I feel was one of the best bow hunters that's ever, you know, lived. And he'll never tell you that because of his personality. But the guy's amazing. He just gets it done. So. Uh, that was in Arizona, and then obviously uh, hunting desert muleys. You know, you have 60, 70 days a year in Arizona to hunt them over the counter. Uh, I lived North Phoenix, so I was right on the fringe of the city. I could drive my razor out of my garage and be in the desert in about 10 minutes, so I was hunting morning and night uh, from basically 2010 on um, and just covering country and learning how to hunt and learning how to harvest animals and, and just growing uh, my skill set, but also my addiction and passion for bow hunting. Um, and it's translated, you know, back here to Utah and for numbers of different species. Uh, but Arizona is the, is the reason I'm a bow hunter. And I feel like it's, it's, it's what cultivated the passion and the, and the drive for it. And I'll tell you right now, I, I'm coming back this January. I'm going to spend a weekend or two and go backpacking into some cheap country and look for, for deer and, and just enjoy the, the, the weather and enjoy, you know, the memories that I used to have out there. 
That's fantastic. Um, how has your archery setups, uh, as you've gained more knowledge, um, how have you progressed uh, from maybe a mindset from before, or are you at the same place you were uh, when you started? I'm curious how the you know transformation of of learning archery and really diving into it like you have. Um, you, you know, I'm just curious how your setups have changed as you've learned uh, over the years different things and how maybe your philosophies and and such. Um, sure. Where 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 were you then? Where are you now? And how does that you know differ? Well, when I started uh, my first bow, you know, I was all about IDO. I wanted you know, the fastest bow I could find. Speed, speed, speed. That was the deal. And I would shoot a light arrow, a really low spine arrow, and it would just just zip it. I had a hunting arrow that was flying at like 325 out of my X-Force. Then my next bow was an Omen, and then an Omen Pro, and an Omen Max. And I just kept shooting those hyper-aggressive, super-fast dual cam uh, PSE bows. And I, I did really well with them. I mean, it's funny to say this, and anyone that knows a PSE, you know, they're, they're the amazing bows are ultra lightweight, but a, a, a dual cam, you know, Omen is not an easy bow to shoot, especially for a beginner. I, I learned on a first-gen X-Force. So needless to say, I broke a lot of arrows watching them and jerking my, you know. I, I, it, just, it took me a while to, to dial it in. It's not a very forgiving bow, but it's a lethal bow, and it's accurate and everything. So... Um, but but the, the the first evolution was um, slowing my arrows down and building a stiffer, heavier arrow that released uh, higher kinetic energy. Um, I feel like a heavier, stiffer arrow is a lot quieter off the string, stabilizes better. Uh, it does better with uh, different broadheads. It seems like it tunes a lot easier. Uh, there are a lot lower maintenance as far as just uh, you know, the, a big Lincoln log arrow, it, it seems like the speed is, is compromised, but, you know, anything over 280, 290 is, is still screaming, and it's so fast. And if you can sh- shoot the 500-degree arrow at 290 feet per second, uh, you're creating some substantial kinetic energy. You're over 100 pounds, which downrange, even, even at 100 yards, my block, I mean, I'll shoot through my block all the time uh, with that setup. So... Um, that's been the evolution as far as my gear goes, is just backing off on the speed, backing off on the ego. Um, I shot a Matthews Safari, which is an Africa edition bow. It's an 86-pound limb bow. Uh, we were shooting a 525-grain arrow over 300 feet per second out of that. And I realized really quickly that 85 pounds on your shoulder is not good. It, it, I actually have rotator discomfort to this day from when I shot that bow and I had a lot of guys tell me, man, you're, you don't need to pull that back. I draw 29 and a half inches. So I have a per, plenty of draw length. Uh, I backed down. I'm going to always going to be shooting 70 pound bows now because uh, you, you don't need, you don't need to be an ego nut, um, which, you know, obviously is <laughs> comes naturally to me, but <laughs> I, I had, I had to back off on the ego and say, dude, I don't even like to shoot this bow. And there was nothing against the bow it was just, I don't need 85 pounds. I mean, just don't need it. I can kill stuff with 60 pounds. I mean, that's the, the, the bows and the technology has evolved to a level where, uh, I mean, the, the stuff that we have, even at 50 and 60, outperformed stuff from 10 years ago at 70, 80. So, you know, just back off on the ego, build the stiffest, heaviest air you can, uh, keep it around that 280 to 300 feet per second range. 
shoot your bow religiously. Um, most of the mornings, I shoot my, house, my bow in my house. I just set my block up about five feet away, chest height on top of a stool, and I just launch arrows into it. Uh, you just shoot your center pin and you just hit a dead center. Uh, it's a little unnerving at first shooting an arrow inside of the house, but I've done it for years. And uh, Matt Lillenquist taught me that. You know, you shoot on a couch cushion. Um, and that way you can just get your muscle memory dialed. You can work on your shot sequencing, you, you know, your anchor point, your breathing. Uh, all of that stuff has to become second nature. And the only way you're going to attain that is through repetition. And so uh, we're not always able to go to the range every day, but that doesn't mean you can't shoot your bow and, and, and get all that stuff dialed. Uh, the range is where you just work on your confidence. That's where you build your um, your, your confidence and your belief system of, of and, and learn your capacity to, you know, your capabilities. You, you learn your distances and your comfort zones. And, uh, but you build the muscles, you build the foundation at home um, or in your backyard or whatever. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any Outdoorsman's products. That's great stuff. Let's take a quick break here. GoHunt.com Insider is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. GoHunt.com Insider are the industry leaders and number one source for Western hunting for a lot of reasons. GoHunt.com Insider have changed the game for how hunts and hunting information are found. Within a matter of minutes using filtering 2.0, you'll be able to filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, specific hunting dates, and harvest success percentages to find the hunts that fit exactly what you're looking for. If you are a guy that applies across the West or just in your home state but want to find some new opportunity, there's no better way to do it than using GoHunt.com Insider. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a GoHunt.com Insider membership for $149 a year, and use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. Okay, Zach, I'm going to ask you some more questions about your setup, um, but you, you talked about a few things there that I've, I've got a couple follow-up questions. One is, for the listener out there that is uh, just getting into archery, uh, is, is maybe um, not as advanced in archery, you know, can you go through a, a few fundamentals on, you know, shooting form and things that you do uh, with your own shot process and what have you of, you know, making sure your feet are the same, you know, shoulder, just go through the technical aspect of uh, some of the tips for for shooting form yeah you know for me you're you're asking the wrong guy because my form is hideous i feel especially from experienced tournament type guys i'm a hunter first i i i bought a bow because i wanted to hunt more so i've never prided myself in being an amazing archer i'm more just persistent and don't give up and get lucky and that's really what it is i just work harder and get luckier um, but as far as shooting your bow goes, my first recommendation off the top is go to your pro shop, 
and become an absolute um, magnet. Just sit there and just absorb and draw and learn and watch and digest information from other guys, from other shooters, watch their form, watch, you know, learn from the guys that have it figured out. It's the same thing with business. You ask a rich guy, how do you get rich? You don't go to class and you, you go to it, go to the, the, the source. You, um, and I've done that with archery. I, I learned from Matt. I, uh, when I was in Arizona at Arizona Archery Club, club the, the, the pro staff there, they know that I don't know anything about bows. They, they would, they would teach me and I would regurgitate a lot of the information. But the bottom line is, is I, I would go to them because they are the experts and I would learn from them. So with form, you ought to go to a resource that's going, going to put you in the right direction because form is, is very important. My form isn't perfect, but I'm comfortable. And I think that matters, you know, infinitely uh, over anything, because if you're forcing it or you don't feel natural, you're going to be a lot worse off than you are if you just kind of adapt for your own style. But um, like you said before, feet, stance, uh, you know, I don't really, it's kind of second nature for me now, but get comfortable, toes slightly out. You want to be solid and, and heavy. Um, I always like uh, at some level, I, I don't know if I do this on purpose or if it's just natural, but I feel like my, my belly is forward and my back is arched. I feel like there's more of a balance between your, your butt sticking out, your belly sticking forward. I mean, your vertical, you know, the vertical plane there, your belly offsets the, the butt. So you're, you know, back and forth that way. Uh, when you draw your bow, I always like to push with my front hand and pull with my lat, my back muscle. I don't pull with my wrist or my tricep or my arm. I pull with my back muscle. So I, I pull very exaggerated over the top of my head um, just because, one, I pulled heavy bows in the past, and I think that became second nature. But also because in the field, you'll notice that, uh, you know, your first shot on an animal may be a week from the last time you shot, and it may be on the side of a timbered ridge, and uh, you may not be able to pull back uh, with your wrist or elbow. I mean, you've got to have that muscle built, and you've got to have that stability. So I like to just use a muscle that I know is not going to fatigue. It's going to be there. And honestly, your last... 10 times the size of your arm muscles combined. And so you're able to pull back more smoothly, comfortably that way. Uh, grip is critical with the bow. It's impossible to explain proper grip over a, a radio podcast. You have to go in and just meet somebody, have them hold your hand, have, jam that grip into there and make sure you feel what it feels like to hold it properly. Um, very, very different than you would expect and I think uh, it surprised me when I started to feel when it when I got my grip dialed what what it actually the end result was what it felt like it wasn't what I expected or anticipated so uh, again just to, to reemphasize go to the source go to your pro shops become a sponge uh, mingle talk with guys ask questions uh, it's a very social sport. I think that's one of the coolest things about bow hunting is it's very it's a brotherhood. So uh, just become part of the team and, and, and be there and, and spend money and enjoy your time. And, you know, we all have discretionary income. And so allocate as much as you can to the sport. And the shop will appreciate you as a customer. You'll appreciate them as a resource. And you'll become a better hunter as a result. So That's great advice there. Um, uh Going to your current archery setup um, right now, what what bow are you shooting? Um, you know, and, and I, I might ask, you know, is this bow that you're going to be shooting this year, is it for deer, elk, everything? 
or do you, you know, do you have a specific bow for deer, specific bow for elk? Um, you know, I'm kind of of the mindset that, you know, you probably just need to get your bow set up that's your hunting bow and kind of have a bow that works great for maybe deer and antelope, you know, shooting long range, but you can also shoot an elk with it. Um, because a lot of people don't have the opportunity to own three or four bows. I'm curious what you're shooting, um, and give me your full archery setup right now. Okay. I just got, uh, my new Hoyt carbon, uh, defiant turbo, uh, barely literally within last month, I got it custom painted and all take care of. So I'm shooting a carbon defiant. Um, if you've never shot a carbon bow before, you need to experience it. Uh, besides being ultra lightweight there, the hand stock is ridiculously low. I don't know if it's just how the, the energy disperses or if there's damping uh, qualities of carbon. Uh, they're just different. They're quiet. They're light, uh, especially the Hoyt carbon. They're just, they're amazing. They're the top end bows. And I don't mean, the price reflects that. They're not cheap. But um, I've loved shooting it by far. It's my favorite bow I've ever had. I had a carbon spider turbo last year. I shot the the new car or the aluminum defiant this year. Just the carbon defiant is an awesome bow. I've got it set up at 70 pounds, uh, 29 and a half inch draw. Uh, I shoot a spot hog, uh, Tommy hog single pin slider. So I, I set my pin at 50 yards, um, and then I'm basically 10 inches uh, high at 20 and 10 inches low at 65, 70. And I've been very good at I, uh, just gauging yardages off of that. And for long distance, you can always dial direct yardages with the slider. I'm a big fan of those. And I, and I have gone to the one pin uh, as opposed to a three or a five pin because um, even though I like having fixed pin options, I just feel like, I don't know if my eyes have changed, but my focus is just has has it dwindled and I and I'm I'm not seeing pins like I usually did. Even though I would use a smaller pin for my bottom diameter um, for my anchor pin, I would still have trouble uh, just I don't know. It just focuses better for me with the one pin. So it's definitely something to consider if you're going to shoot a single pin sight. Uh, my arrow is a an Easton FMJ injection. They just barely released a 280 spine. Uh, last year, I was shooting a 330 spine, and we had to cut my arrows extremely short. They were about 27 inches long just to make it stiff enough. But now that they've got the uh, 280 spine, we're going to be able to shoot a normal you know, 30-inch arrow. Um, it weighs about 500 grains on the dot with a 100-grain broadhead, or excuse me, 125-grain broadhead. I shoot a uh, grape digger. Um, it's a hybrid expandable. And uh, I shoot the same arrow at every critter on the planet, whether it's a jackrabbit in the desert or a bull elk i i don't i don't just you know the, to me your bow should be universal and it, it, it the speed is an issue it's in the, at around 290 feet per second it's cooking plenty fast enough for antelope and deer the energy sufficient for elk um more most importantly my confidence with that bow will be the best because that's going to be my hunting bow that's going to be my shooting bow that's the bow I'm going to use from now on. Even for 3D, I'm going to use it because I don't see the point of punching paper if it's not a bow I'm going to be punching hide with. So uh, it's it's literally my bow, and I, I don't want to change a thing with it unless I need to just for tuning purposes. But, yeah, it's going to be my go-to all the way through the fall. Okay, that's great. I've got a couple follow-up questions, but let's take a quick break before that. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. 
Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at PhoneScope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order. Okay, Zach, uh, my questions uh, from your setup I I drew an archery elk tag in Utah. I drew the beaver archery elk, and uh, I have not hunted elk myself. I you know I've been guiding every September, and the last bull elk that I killed with my bow was 2006. So archery equipment has come a long way. Oh uh, yeah, my old bow. Uh, I I had two Matthew switchbacks that I had set up that were identical. Um, I ended up giving one of those years ago to my buddy Giannis Patelis, who's the producer over at the Meat Eater TV show. But um, once I found out that I drew the tag, I started shooting my Matthew switchback. And, you know, I don't know what it is about that bow, but it just shoots great, um, feels real comfortable in my hand. And, you know, I, I, I was urged by several of my buddies that, you know, the technology, you know, they basically alluded to, you know, you're 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 in essence, Jay, playing golf with a wooden driver when everybody else is using, you know, a metal driver. You really need to look at some of the new bows. The technology's come a long ways. Um, with that being said, um, you know, I I've been vacillating back and forth between a single pin and multiple pins, and you know, the concept uh, of shooting a, a single pin slider to me uh, makes most sense to me. Uh, I've had several of my friends really discourage me from that. But, you know, from my perspective, uh, shooting a bull elk, uh, my idea is to uh, go with a single pin slider, uh, set the single pin uh, on on 35 yards and keep it there and then if I had to shoot you know I'm I I don't shoot and I haven't been shooting so um, you know it, I've been loving getting back into the archery game and shooting every day and it, it brings back old memories where I used to shoot quite a bit but and I'm kind of getting a little off task here but back to the single pin most of the elk that I've shot have all been around that 30-yard range and, you know, 30, 35, 25, you know, kind of close range. I'm a caller. Uh, I love calling elk. And uh, lately, uh, so my friend Brian Rimza, who I believe you know, um, uh, shoots for Elite Archery. Anyway, to make a long story short, he had an extra Elite uh, 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 energy 35. And he's like, why don't you shoot my, my energy 35 and see how you like it before, you know, you go and buy a new bow. And so I, I, I brought it 
up here to Colorado with me, and I've been shooting it, and it's got a, a multiple-pin slider. I think it's a five-pin multiple, uh, and, it, and it's got a slider. But it's, it's funny that you say that your uh, focus uh, is a little bit um, different than it was maybe five years ago. And one of the things that I've noticed with my own eyes is when I get out at, at, you know, 40, 30, 40, 50, 60 yards, to me, I, I can't seem to focus on the, the pin as well as I used to back, you know, I, I, I shot a lot of archery and, you know, in my late 20s and, and, you know, mid, mid 20s and, and early 30s. And it seems like, you know, now I'm 43. I don't think my eyesight is quite as good um and so that kind of goes back to the single pin slider i think uh my matthews is set up with a single pin slider and i seem to to focus better uh my question for you is do you see a downside when you're saying you're 10 inches low at uh 30 and what would you say 10 inches hot give me yeah give me that again I, here. It was with my last year's setup. It was at a, at 20 yards, I was about 10 inches high, and at about okay. 60 yards, I was 10 inches low. And that was this year. It'll be very comparable to that. And that's just I want you guys. I mean, I don't actually go measure it. I'm just saying, you know, right. in general. Um, but the, I like the 50 yard range because I typically hunt spot and stock mule deer, and you and I both know that uh, you know, a 30 yard shot on a spot and shot mule deer is very possible, but realistically 40 or 50 is probably going to be more, in your, more, more likely. So that's kind of where I set that up as, um, but it's yeah. for me. And that's the key with anything. You've got to try all your options and then you've got to say what, which ones are working, which ones aren't. And unfortunately there's no cookie cutter, uh, solution. You, you got to just go out and learn and you've got to say, wow, I don't like shooting a multi-pin slider because I've done it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you, yeah, I, I just do it. I, I totally agree with you. And I think you bring up a good point that if, you know, you're hunting desert mule deer in your range, usually that you can get, you know, up 50 yards, um, you know, for me, elk is, you know, that 30, 35 yard window is, you know, anything, my thinking is anything under that, all I have to do is know where 35 yards is when a bull's coming in. And anytime he steps inside of that window, I aim just a little bit low. Okay. And exactly. if, if, if he's just outside of that window, I, if my, if my one pin is set at 35, I aim just a little bit high. Now, if he's out there at 55 yards, obviously I can slide, you know, move my slider and, and decide if I want to take that shot or not. Um, but from speaking just specifically getting ready for this archery elk hunt, you know, I, I just think that the 35, you know, a single pin slider is the way that I'm going to end up going. Um, and, and so it's interesting to hear you shooting a single pin slider as well. I, I, uh, that gives me a little bit of confidence that, you know, as much as you've shot and tinkered with stuff that you're going with the single pin slider. Yeah. And it's worked for me. You know, I, I, my first one was a three pin. Then I went to a five and then uh, I went back to a three and then I'm shooting a single pin this year. Uh, but you remember too, your, your draw length is very long. 
and you're going to shoot super fast. I mean, you're always going to have a flat shooting, uh, laser fast bow, just like Brian. I believe Brian's really tall. I think that's the guy I met him before, but, um, you know, if it's one of his bows, it's obviously a long draw. So you're going to have plenty of energy at 35 yards. I don't think the 20 yards are probably three inches high at all. I'm sure if it's flat, flat shooting. So I think you're getting a rock and roll with that setup. That's you're you're ready to rip. And I was going to tell you earlier, uh, when your friends were telling you, you know, you're playing golf with wooden drivers, you know, Tiger Woods with wooden drivers is still going to outplay an average Joe with, you know, brand new king blades, you know? So <laughs> you're a good well, hunter. You're going to get those up top 10. Your Matthews would have been more than sufficient to do it. But heck yeah, if you have the time and energy and resources or access to a new boat, of course, performance is going to trump, uh, you know, what what was around and not, we don't know what was 10 years ago the best on the market which the matthew switchback i mean that's probably the best selling bow ever made i would think it's they're awesome everyone has yeah them, i mean so for me it makes a great backup uh, it's nice to know that i have you know two setups that are shooting great and you know that i can pick up at any time and and uh you know do well with so from that standpoint uh you know i feel good about it um i I really am enjoying shooting archery again. I had forgotten how much, you know, I'd kind of gotten away from shooting a lot and kind of gotten away from that feeling. And, and there's nothing like, well, I shouldn't say there's nothing like, you know, you, you, you hit a tennis ball right in the center of the racket. It feels awesome. Uh, you hit a golf ball right on the screws and it just, you know, feels great. And, and, you know, a, a perfectly executed, uh, you know, arrow release, uh, uh, you know, it's right up there too with, with feelings that, you know, if you don't do it for a while, you kind of forget the euphoric feeling of, of, you know, shooting some good groups and, you know, feeling good about, uh, you know, your arrow flight and how things are going. So for me, it's, I've, I've been re-energized, um, and, you know, you know, kind of unfortunately with the, you know, fortunately and unfortunately both with the situation that I have with, you know, guiding elk hunters, um, and not drawing any tags across the West, uh, archery has kind of taken a little bit of a back burner. Um, sure. but it's nice to be away from the sport enough that when I do get a tag, you know, now I'm back to all in and, you know, trying to relearn a lot of those things and, uh, you know, pick up the technical talk again, like I used to know. Um, <laughs> so, so it, it's, it's definitely been fun for me. One question I would have for you is what weaknesses or faults do you see uh, yourself creeping into with your shooting and what do you notice with either your fellow friends or, or hunters or just people that you observe as far as weaknesses um, or faults uh, that creep in over time uh, with archery? Uh, with me personally, my, my big uh, obstacle is I actually went to a great resource to find out how to offset it was is with my weight training. Um, I, you know, my hashtag or whatever is train hard, hunt harder. So I do train to hunt, but I also train to train. I love the lift. I love bodybuilding. I'm obsessed with dieting and getting leaner and bigger and rounder and fuller and all those things. And so I train with a purpose and I train for an aesthetic uh, end result. And when you're shooting a bow, Muscle fatigue from weightlifting can absolutely affect your shooting and uh, your confidence in your groups. Uh, that's been my obstacle 
um, from the beginning, Jay, it's just, it's just how do I balance my weightlifting with my bow shooting? Because, you know, I do legs, cardio or lift my legs every day of the week, seven days a week year round, never stop. So I'm always in shape, but I build my upper body for other reasons. I mean, there are some muscles that are used in bow hunting and other things and stuff, but in general, it's more for aesthetics. And uh, I'm not going to give up weightlifting and I'm not going to give up bow hunting, so I have to find a balance. But I went to the resource earlier, like I said, I, I talked to Cameron Haynes. I said, dude, you're, you're pulling 90 pounds. You're shredded to the bone. How do you balance it? And he said it was super logical and absolutely like the simplest response. He goes, I try to shoot my bow before I lift weights, period, which means I lifted yesterday at 5. That means today at 4, it's been 23 hours of rest, fatigue, or rest and recuperation. When are you going to be fresh to shoot your bow? Well, as far away from the gym as possible. So he shoots his bow right before, and if he can, he squeezes in when he can. But that's been my, my way of getting around that is just trying to find a good time where I can shoot my bow where my muscles are not feeling fatigued and they're not feeling worn out. And that's been a trick. Now, when I'm hunting, it's funny because I'm not lifting. Uh, I, I shoot fine. But year-round, you know, I like, I like being confident. If my rotator's sore because I did shoulders – Hold that your your front hand. You'll notice there's a lot more shake in it. It's not as stable. It aches. It's not as comfortable. So you know, just giving yourself some time to recover, but in between shooting. Another thing that I I feel like a lot of guys do is they shoot too many arrows in a sequence. Um, Matt taught me shoot three arrows, set your bow down, walk to your block, pull your arrows, come back, reload, and shoot again. Because if you shoot seven, eight, nine, ten arrows straight, your groups are going to just get wider and you're gonna, your accuracy is going to deplete because you're wearing that muscle down. And remember hunting, uh, 90% of your opportunities are single shots and they're, they're not usually warm-ups. They're usually draw, cold, in a jacket, whatever, in timber. So it's always your first shots that matter most. And so I try to replicate hunting scenarios and I'm not shooting 10 arrows, 10 arrows in 45 seconds in the hunting field I'm shooting one or two or maybe three and then I'm taking a break of a minute and a half to two minutes before I come back and uh, that's a really good way just to build your confidence and remind yourself to slow down bow hunting is not a high paced thing it's a I think that's one of the things that I've been crappy at is I'm way too aggressive way too go 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 and you need to be more like Randy Ulmer and be willing to sit back on a buck for 13 hours straight waiting for the perfect opportunity as opposed to forcing it and screwing up. So the same thing goes with shooting. Um, uh, in general, that's probably what I would say most guys mess up on. Uh, and the other thing I, I notice a lot of guys do is they, they, they just pick up their bow a week before season, shoot their block at 20 yards, and they say, I'm good to go. And then they throw a broadhead on it and they assume that it's hitting where their field points are. That's disrespectful to the animal. I don't think it's... Um, what's the word? I, I think it's irresponsible as hell to the sport and, and to, again, to your, to your, to your quarry. And an animal deserves an ethical clean kill. And so you, you owe it to the animal and yourself because you're investing time and money in, in your hunt to prepare and to know your equipment and to know that it's working and it's tuned and that it's accurate and that your confidence is there. Uh, a week before season, that doesn't cut it with bow hunting. It might work with rifle. You know, you pull it out of the closet, shoot a rock at 400 yards to make sure it's on. But the bow, bows are finicky. They they need constant nourishment. It's like a fly rod. You, you just have to know your rod. It has to become one with you. And if you're not 
shooting your bow year round or at least months in advance of season, you're not going to accomplish that. You're not going to be there. And if you do kill anything, you completely lucked out because you don't deserve it. Period. You've got to, you've got to practice and prepare, uh, know your gear and know your limitations and know that when you put that pin on that deer's vitals, that you're going to hit it where you're holding and whether it's a broadhead or a field tip, you need to know where your arrow is going. You don't assume, even with a mechanical, that your broadhead is going to fly the same as a field tip. It's not how it works. And if you haven't shot your broadhead that blocks hundreds of times preseason, you're irresponsible. And you're going to have a you're going to have a rough, rude awakening when you get to the field and your broadhead's three feet high at 50 yards. You know, I mean, that stuff is tuning. It, it can all be taken care of in advance. But the bottom line is. You know, I, I punching paper with a field tip is not shooting your broadhead. So, you know, don't don't think one the the, the the just because one is on the other is two. Yeah, for sure. Those that's definitely great tips there. Um, let's take another break here. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service, and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Okay, Zach, a couple more questions for you. Um, I want to ask you about your diet. I know in the last episode we touched on it. Um, And, you know, drawing this elk tag in the beaver in Utah with as steep a mountain as it is, uh, I've committed, you know, this summer, you know, since I got back from Mexico turkey hunting uh, for the month to... Uh, really improve my diet. Uh, my wife's kind of a health nut as it is, and I've kind of just, uh, you know, I eat well, uh, definitely in the evenings because she cooks for me. Um, but, you know, this summer, as far as, you know, training and eating better, um, you know, I've got probably about 10 pounds that I, I'm, a, I'm probably 10 pounds heavier than normal. Um, and I've been really working on, uh, you know, pretty you know aggressive hiking uh fortunately here in Carbondale you know we're at 65 6000 6500 feet something like that but i have access to mountains all around me that are you know 7 8 9 10 11 12000 feet um 
So diet and exercise for me is a priority right now. And I, I you've got a great YouTube channel uh, and an Instagram account where you talk about, you know, lifting, you talk about exercise, you talk about diet, uh, specifically about diet. What are some things that guys can uh, do to, um, you know, lose weight and, feel, you know, feel better, get stronger uh, from an advanced standpoint and from a standpoint of maybe the guy out there that's not super hardcore but just wants to eat better? What, what are some of your thoughts? Well, the, the first thing about dieting, and, and you got to look at it, and there's the best analogy, and I, it just came into my head one day, but it's very similar to financial stability. If you listen to a guy like Dave Ramsey, you know, you've got to budget your money. You don't get rich and not knowing where your money's coming from and where it's going. The same thing goes with the caloric intake or nutrition. You can't say, why am I fat? You should know how many calories a day you need or your budget. You should know how much you're bringing in, how much you're spending. So your output is your exercise, your metabolism, your genetics, your training. Your input is how much food do you bring in. Then what types of food are you bringing in on top of that? Just like a budget. How much do I earn? How much do I spend? How much do I save? You know, basically with, with your diet, if you expect results, you're going to have to monitor it. Now, most guys get absolutely, they're all rolling their eyes. I'm not going to measure my food. I'm not going to weigh my food. Okay, well, you're not going to get the results you want and you're going to talk about it after your season. Man, I wish I would have gotten shaped. Guys complicate it because they try to manipulate reality. They try to deceive themselves into thinking that taking a pill or taking a drug or doing a crash diet of starvation for a week, those things all are ultimate. They're going to get you to your end goal. Uh, fitness is not its not a, a quick fix. I mean, most guys are 30, 40 years old, and they've, they've been out of shape for 20 years. You think you're going to get in shape in six weeks? It doesn't work that way. It's going to take years to to build up, and you have to become, it has to become a, a lifestyle. And it's hard for me because uh, I, I'm, I'm the most – I'm a pretty blunt guy, and I, I offend people on a daily basis because I just tell them what I think. Now – do I, should I filter that more? Perhaps. But what good does it do anyone to filter the truth? I, I feel like you need to know the problem. Now, you may take a personal offense to that because you're insecure or you're incapable of absorbing that information, digesting it, and making your own conclusion. Whatever. There's emotion involved. But logic is simple. You get X amount of calories a day. If you take in less than that, you're going to lose weight. If you take in more, you're going to gain. So for anyone out there that wants to lose weight, you better start tracking your food, where it's coming from, and how much you need. And the best thing for anybody out there is to do is just get a simple app called MyFitnessPal. I'm not affiliated with them. I'm not sponsored. This isn't a shameless plug. It's just an awesome resource and tool that stores and tracks your caloric intake. Whether you're at McDonald's and you want to know what a double cheeseburger is, you can add that in there. You can scan barcodes on different food products. You can enter in an apple. You can enter in a chicken breast. You can estimate weight or you can weigh the weight, all that stuff. Just start tracking your food, tracking how long you're training, tracking your, your weight and watching the, the adjustments. No two bodies are the same. And so what works for Jay 
doesn't work for Zach and vice versa. You have to figure it out on your own. It's one of the things I love about fitness. It's a level playing field. You know, yeah, we have, some guys have better genetics. Some guys have more money. Some guys have a chef. Some guys have better supplements, whatever. But you can't tell me that a guy in prison who's eating grits and garbage, uh, who's stuck in a cell 23 hours a day, can't get absolutely shredded to the bone. They do it all the time. Anyone knows that. Um, and, and vice versa. Lots of rich guys with tons of time, resources, tools, etc., are overweight because they don't have the work ethic. It's, it all comes down to this personal discipline, uh, consistency, persistence, um, self, self-control, um, and accountability. I mean, you've got it's, – it's, it's grown-up talk, and I think that's when guys get so offended. They, they, they all want – everyone wants to have a six-pack. I don't care who you are. Who doesn't want to look good and feel great? It's, it's how it works. The problem is, is there's some compromises. There's some sacrifices that you have to make to get there. Part of that is the enjoyment of fatty, salty foods. You know, you have to realize your body only needs certain things. You need to eat for fuel, eat for a purpose, and get the emotion out of it. And trust me, we're all at different levels in in, in the, the, the progression. And so don't go cold turkey and do my diet. Make incremental changes, you know, cut soda out for a couple of weeks, then start to eat whole foods, get away from processed foods, just stick with vegetables and fruits and the basics. And again, you can take it as far as you want to take it, or you can keep it as simple as you want to make it. I mean, most guys just by eating a whole food diet, splitting up their meals from three a day to six or seven small meals a day, drinking a ton of water, stretching and training at least four to five days a week will see dramatic results because that's a dramatic change. If I was to do that, I'd probably lose weight. I'd probably get weaker because I have my nutrition and my fitness dialed to a completely different level where I'm measuring macros, I weigh my food. I mean, I'm trying to get body fat percentages down by one and a half percent instead of two. I mean, it's not calculated for me because I'm fascinated by it and I love it. But for everyone, it's different. So, um, you know, I, I, it's hard to just give you a, a really straight-up answer to that question because I think most guys just need to start the journey, start tracking their calories, start tracking their exercise, and then making adjustments going forward, listening to their body, listening to how they feel. If you feel good, it's working. So just keep, keep doing, you know, reinforce that positive experience, positive feeling, positive recovery, growth, et cetera. Um, and you'll, you'll grow dramatically. Uh, it just isn't something that's going to happen overnight. For me specifically, um, I've been trying to cut out breads, uh, cut out cheese, cut out, you know, mayonnaise, any of that kind of stuff. Are there any other things? And I know it's a lot more complex question, but, um, I've been trying to eat, you know, meats, fruits, vegetables, um, kind of gone, you know, kind of going the paleo route, not, I'm not super like, um, I don't know if anal is the right word, but you know, super detailed on it, but I, sure. I definitely, uh, you know, feel like cutting out the breads, cutting out the pastas, cutting out, uh, you know, and eating more vegetables, more fruits, uh, and, and more, you know, fish, chicken breasts, that kind of thing. Are there any other uh, tips that you can give a guy yeah. like myself that's just trying to, you know, eat good? No, you're doing, those are all great things, and they're very simple to track. You're not measuring your your potato. You're not weighing your potato. You're just eating a potato instead of a half a French bread loaf, you know. You're, you're sticking with the natural 
a grow a growing vegetable as opposed to a processed, refined, loaded with salt and sugar uh, product off of an assembly line. I mean, I, I don't understand wh- wh- why it's so complicated to people. I mean, you can't tell me a a muffin is going to treat your body's going to take in a muffin the same way it's going to take in a cup of oats. The calories may be the same, but the oats are a raw, fibrous, nu- nutritionally dense. Again, natural occurring. There's no processing at all. You might smash them and roll them so they're easier to cook, but your body wants that. They don't want the process done. Your mouth wants the process done because it tastes good, and somehow it's tied to your brain and some type of stimulus where you're, we actually feel some type of gratification or whatever. Uh, it's almost like an arousal at some level to enjoy food. So there's, there's an emotional, it's a non... Um, it's an intangible response, whereas reality is your body's built to eat oats, greens, stuff that naturally occurs, because that's what cavemen, that's why I like the paleo diet. Paleo diet's actually very logical. Uh, we only eat what we're supposed to eat. If you're a deer, you eat grass, because that's what's on the side of the hill. If you're a caveman, you're picking up nuts and berries and, and meat sparingly, maybe some roots here and there, you know, like, you know, yams and stuff like that, but you're basically just eating off the land and greens, fibrous greens. I mean, those are very logical, basic, fundamentals to me in, in diet, and I can see why people do well with it because it's what we're supposed to eat. It's what we're genetically disposed or evolutionarily disposed to eat that way. So, you know, it's this new process stuff that's causing the epidemic of you know, being overweight. So stick natural like you are. Um, cut sugar back as much as possible, especially, especially refined sugars that are in liquid form, um, you know, sodas and, and stuff like that. You've got you to monitor that as well. But if you just eat whole foods, you're going to be fuller. You're going to feel revived. You're going to like the way you feel. You're going to want to train. You're not going to be, you know, it's like a hangover, you know, most people stop drinking the older they get if if they don't like hangovers because hangovers suck for the next whole day. Uh, It's not worth it to me. Drinking is not that cool that I want to be hungover the next day. I'd rather just, you know, eat normal, go to bed and get up and train and do my normal routine. It's the same thing with food. You'll realize when you start eating very clean and healthy that you'll like the way you feel and that's going to continually reinforce the behavior because you're just going to get out of the rut of, doing what's easier or maybe what you want to do and be, start doing what you know you should do. Um, and I think, you know, again, just take it at your pace. Don't try to eat the elephant with one bite or excuse me, with, you know, just one, one little bite at a time. Uh, it's yeah. going to take a while to get down that path, but it's definitely worth the journey and don't compare yourself to anybody else because it doesn't matter. All that matters is you and your personal results. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, uh, I've been eating eggs in the morning. Uh, I've, my, my wife has made me these uh, uh, buckwheat pancakes um, that she freezes, and I just put them in the microwave. Um, been eating a lot of grapes, a lot of bananas, a lot of you know uh, fruits. Um, and you know, for me, uh, I went about a couple years eating this certain type of granola, and I just didn't realize it, but I was eating this granola basically every morning, and it had all kinds of sugar um, and and you know basically carbs and and stuff. And you know over a span of 
you know, a couple years of eating that consistently every morning because why it was easy. I just grab my little bag of granola and go about doing my, my work, but eat that. And, you know, it's like a, a cow walking up to the, you know, the feed pen and going to eat, you know, if you feed them crap, they're going to gain weight. And um, so specifically, Zach, for breakfast, um, give me some things that you think that I should be eating with what I'm trying to do. Training? Excuse me. It depends on your training. Are you training in the mornings or in the evenings? I'm mainly training uh, in the mornings. And, and when I say training, all I'm doing is doing extensive hiking um, and, and of course my rowing season is about to start here. So for the next 60 days, I'll be rowing virtually every day. Um, but I, I, am hiking, doing a morning hike, uh, every single day. Cool. I, I recommend, you know, uh, uh, if you can get a meal in before you train, always do. And then obviously post training is the most critical meal of the day because you're depleted. You need to replenish nutrients. You need to replace muscle glycogen, which is the, the sugar, the hydraulic fluid that makes your muscles pump and be hard. Um, those are the things that I would eat around, you know, primarily, you know, around, centered around your training sessions, whether it's pre or post. I personally wake up at 4.30 and go to the gym. I don't want to eat at 4.30 in the morning. I'm not. I'm hungry, but I don't, I don't want to eat. You know, I don't want to eat a couple of oats. So I train on an empty stomach, but by the time I'm done training at, you know, 5.45, I'm so hungry, I'm hyperglycemic, like I'm shaking. So um, I eat a big meal then, and then the rest of the day, I just kind of nibble. I have my little meal spaced out. Um, you know, I, I always like to try to incorporate greens into each meal in some way, whether it's spinach or broccoli or whatever. Um, I, I've been getting back on the green kick, and I feel great because of it. My digestion's regular. Uh, it's much more consistent. Um, I feel like if you're digesting food, then you're obviously processing it properly. So you know, keep track of that stuff. Not to get too graphic, but you should know that should be very consistent because your diet should be consistent. So um, as far as eating goes, you know, your granola is a great analogy. Granola on the face or the surface it seems healthy. It looks like nuts and berries and oats and, and different, you know, complex carbohydrates. But like you said, they, they add sugars, they add sweeteners, they add fat, um, whatever. Um, you got to be careful. You got to learn to read nutrition labels, and that's where that my fitness pal app will come in handy. Is it'll help you scan caloric intake, um, and you'll realize really quickly which foods are high in calories, and you'll start to say, "Wow, I, for 400 calories, I could have eaten you know, five or six apples. I think I'm just going to start eating three apples and just get rid of the granola." And either way, I feel like I'm more full. And you, you got to learn that, and that's part of just experiencing it and going through it all. So um, I wouldn't change anything, especially it sounds like you're progressing, you know, it sounds like you're doing really well. Um, I, I would it is, it is amazing changing. when you, yeah, I mean, it is amazing when, you know, it's only been probably 30 days now that I've been eating better. And it is amazing to, to, to know that I'm feeling better and see the progression. And I have a feeling over the next 60 days, I'll see a lot bigger progression um, but okay, specifically, give me, give me breakfast ideas or tell me what you eat for breakfast. So I train early. So post-workout, which is 5.30 or 6 is when I eat my breakfast. Now, 
going to sound crazy because I eat for fuel. I don't eat for emotion. What I eat for breakfast is I usually, depending on which body part I do, but I usually eat about a cup of brown rice or white rice, and I usually eat a um, 10 egg whites. So 50 grams of protein, 50 to 100 grams of carbs. That's my breakfast. And I, um, I put some cinnamon in my rice or, you know, some no-cal sweeteners or whatever. Um, you could put raspberry preserves. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could do. Uh, but I just keep it I'm very – I eat very bland, basic food. Um, I, I use rice because it's high uh, – the white rice is high glycemic index. It absorbs quickly into your bloodstream and replenishes your muscle glycogen, like I said. It's quick for recovery. But uh, that's what I eat for breakfast. I mean, it's like right around, you know, six, 700 calories uh, my breakfast is with my protein shake that I drink post-workout. But throughout the day, and, and if you're not training first thing in the morning, I would just try to do each each meal with a portion of carbohydrates and a portion of protein, and then mix in greens intermittently. So when I say a portion, I mean like maybe the size of your fist or the size of a, a deck of cards. It's been a good analogy I've seen, you know, five to six ounce piece of meat, uh, half a cup to a cup of oats or brown rice or yams or whatever. And if you can manage that four to five meals a day, you're going to get in plenty of calories, you're going to get plenty of nutrients, plenty of carbs, plenty of protein. You're going to recover, you're going to replenish, you're going to grow, you're going to progress. Um, and that's all I would say. It's not so much breakfast as much as just making sure throughout the day you're getting adequate nutrients and they come in the forms of carbs, proteins, and fats. Uh, fat something you're going to get naturally from meat. It's already there, but you can also supplement with like healthy fats like almonds. Um, I love nuts. I don't, I, I'm not an oil fan because I don't feel like a tablespoon of oil, the 200 calories it has in it is, is the same as a handful of almonds that has 200 calories. So I'd rather just get the almonds, but uh, healthy oils are great. Olive oils, omega-3s, uh, even coconut oil, it's delicious. And it's got some really cool health effects. I mean, it's obviously real popular right now. So um, that's basically it. And then I, I've seen before on your videos, you eat a lot of chicken breasts. Um, do you eat those throughout the day, or um, do you eat those more in the evening? What's, what's yeah. your story on chicken breasts? Ch chicken has just been my go-to because it's compartmentalized. It's small. I can fit it in a Ziploc bag. It's easy to measure. It's easy to cook. It's relatively inexpensive. I would say I eat um, three to four a day, uh, eggs in the morning. And then in the evening, I either have a piece of fish or... Uh, eggs again or a piece of deer or elk or whatever. Um, the problem with deer and elk during the day, and most people know this, is, you know, if it's in a cooler, red meat's not very appetizing. But if I'm home, it's always my first choice. Like, I always will eat deer or elk every time. I mean, if I'm home and I have time to prepare it or put it on the stove, I would much rather eat that than, you know, some garbage chicken from Walmart. Unfortunately, I'm on the road or I'm moving around a lot, and I just don't have that, that um you know, I'm not able to do that. So I eat as much of my organic animal meat as I can, usually in the evenings when I'm home and calm and chilled out. But during the day, yeah, chicken breast is just to go to, just put my Ziploc bags in my cooler. And, you know, one thing with dieting especially is you've got to plan your meals. And it sounds like a pain in the butt, but, you know, you're, if you have the food there, you're going to eat healthy. If you don't, you're going to make bad poor decisions. And uh, just like a budget, you know. If you get rid of all your credit cards, you're, you'd be amazed how much you don't spend. You know, if, <laughs> if you live on a cash-only budget, you're like, man, I, I want to be cash-less in it. You know, the 20th, I guess I can't buy any more garbage. 
you know, the same thing with food. If you have your food with you and you say, that's my day, when someone offers you at 12, hey, come, you want one of these brownies? And you say, no, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I don't actually, I thank you, but I've got my food with me. And I, it, I, I've been just chastised for years about how socially awkward I am because I'll go to dinner sometimes and I don't buy food, I don't care. I, mean, I don't need to eat. But I, 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 yeah, I eat at 5.30 and 6.15. I don't, I'm not hungry. I don't want to spend $20 on a salad that I can make at home for $3. And so, you know, I may be antisocial and weird, but I'm just very unemotional and very logical about my food choices and my eating. And I feel like it's, it's worked for me, so I'm not going to change it anytime soon. But definitely prepare your meals, carry them with you. You should always have food with you so you don't make poor decisions. That's good stuff. A specific question about, you mentioned salads. Um, obviously, you probably are making salads with spinach, spinach salads with, you know, chicken or salmon or some sort of fish on it. Uh, what dressing or do you use any dressing at all? Is there something specific out there that, you know, you can get a little bit of taste out of, but, you know, isn't isn't bad for you? You know, one thing about, you said salmon. Salmon actually is a very oily, very moist fish, especially if you prepare it properly. I like the pan sear salmon because you get a nice crust on it and it preserves a lot of the moisture inside of it. And if you break that salmon up in your salad and just swirl it around, it actually will saturate the salad with with the juices and the, and the aromas and stuff. So uh, a, a really moist meat like salmon is the one that's a really good one with salad. Uh, I also like ground turkey because even after it's drained, it's still very moist. There's a lot of water content in it. that that serves in well. So um, for me, you know, wet or the, the moistness is kind of the key with the dressing. That's the whole purpose of it. Um, so I try to just use the meats in general, but I love to season food with lemon juice. Lemon juice has no calories. Um, delicious. Obviously has a great flavor profile and it's, inexpensive it's easy to you know storage forever so i love to cut a half of a lemon and sprinkle that on the lettuce i love cracked pepper uh, you'd be surprised even with the chicken breast if you dice up the chicken breast you know put a few tablespoons of lemon juice and some cracked pepper in your lettuce it's actually very appetizing uh, there's also vegetables that provide really good moisture and flavor tomatoes are awesome you get a tomato you dice it pico de gallo um, you know, the onions, all of that stuff. There's no calories in pico whatsoever. It's lime juice, onions, tomatoes, and garlic. I and mean, it's, but the flavor is amazing. So, you know, I use stuff like that. Um, in, to, so, in other words, no on the salad dressings, Jay. There's just no point, Jay. This is why. It's, it's just, <laughs> it, go, it comes down to a budget to me. A tablespoon. You've got to see, guys have got to learn this. Look at a tablespoon. Go and look at your wife's stuff and say, let me see a tablespoon. Look at that and see how much dressing fits in there. That's usually 150 to 200 calories. 200 calories is like, it's like most protein bars or a, a chicken breast. I mean, there's so many things I would rather eat or spend, quote unquote, like 200 calories on than just a spoonful of oil. Like, I don't see the point of salad dressing. I, I, I just don't see it. Now, if you don't want to eat chicken breast in an hour and you'd rather use your calories on that, you know, again, budget your calories into that dressing. Go for it, but you got to measure it and you got to stay on top of it because it's calorically dense. Super, super. I mean, a, a tablespoon of dressing doesn't go very far. Uh, most salads, you know, 
the lettuce, the tomatoes, the, the, the chicken breast, everything on it, uh, all of that combined doesn't even add up to the caloric value of one tablespoon of oil. And so when you understand that, you'll start saying, man, what can I do to substitute? Because this isn't, this doesn't make any sense at all. That's great stuff. Now you said that that, um, uh, app is my fitness pal. Is that what yeah. T-A-L? Okay. Correct. Under Armour owns huh? it. It's an Under Armour app. Okay. It's okay. A, I'll have to check free. into that. Yeah. Just get the free one. You'll just start playing with it. You'll figure it out. It gives you meal times. And what did you eat at 10? What did you eat at 11? What did you eat at 12? And when you just enter it in and if you can't find it, you search for it and you say, Carl's Jr. small size. There it is. Oh, put that in there. You can eat garbage on that thing and still stay under your caloric needs. That's one of the things that's cool about it. You could actually eat a pizza at 10 o'clock every morning of your life and eat 1,500 to 2,000 calories and then not eat the rest of the day. You'd be in great shape. I think you'd feel better if you spread it out and ate whole foods throughout the day. But the bottom line is your budget would be in check. You would have money left over. You know what I mean? You'd the, essentially, the calories are the same. Um, I just like to eat more than just once a day, and so I've got to spread them out and be a little bit more calculated, but that's kind of what it helps you accomplish, and it, it gives you a lot of flexibility. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Let's say you've eaten 2,000 calories, and your wife wants to run and grab a burger. Well, you're like, okay, i got 1,500 left or 400 left, whatever. If I eat a hamburger, I'm done, but then you know I won't eat again after 5, but I'm going to swap that hamburger out. You can do that. That's why it's cool. You, but at least you know and you're accountable to where the calories came from and that you didn't go over the top. Well, there you have it. I appreciate uh, that that advice. Uh, that's, that's good stuff. And um, I'll check out that app. Um, really appreciate having you on again. Uh, I know guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. And uh, just uh, wish you the best here for your summer um prep and getting ready for your fall season so so what do you have other than your arizona uh elk tag are you going to do any otc stuff or what what do you got on the agenda yeah i i'll hunt utah general deer um i'll have general elk tag utah and i'll probably do the same in idaho um try to pick up a landowner tag in colorado this year for rifle um the third season tag i'm looking at i'm looking at a lot of options i want to buy one so that's going to be my go-to hunt. I didn't draw any premium tags, and I like to have one, you know, just slam or hunt a year. So hopefully we can stir up a landowner tag and get out to Colorado um, later in the year. But right now it's just looking like a very average year, just general tags and uh, a lot of days in the field and probably not a lot of success. But, you know, some of those seasons are the funnest. So I'm not not, not even remotely discouraged. It's just that, you know, it's the hand I'm dealt. I've got to play with a pair and, instead of a full house but doesn't mean i can't bluff and win or you know what i mean <laughs> you just yeah. take your cards and run with them so but your tag's amazing that's a great unit that's a great the history there i mean i'm jealous as hell you're gonna have a great time and i can't wait to see what you come up with and footage and you're gonna you're gonna hammer it they don't know what's coming it's gonna be fun i'm really looking forward to it and uh, i always enjoy elk hunting uh for sure and uh it's uh you know took 16 years to draw the tag ironically i you know with one non-resident tag available it goes completely random so it's fortunate that i i just drew it in a completely random pool um you know i thought for sure i would probably be hunting the boulder or uh you know the monroe or you know southwest desert uh and um 
you know, I just put in for the one tag, not expecting to draw it, and I drew it. So um pretty stoked about that. Um certainly going to try and push myself to try and find uh, the best bull that I can and uh, enjoy the hunt along the way. And, and uh, yeah, so I'm excited. So, uh, Zach, I want to give you a chance uh, for those listening. How do they find you? Uh, I know you've got uh, a lot of great resources, so make sure uh, you, you give uh, the plugs where people can watch you and find you and follow you. Uh, if you don't follow Zach on Instagram, you need to, uh, and also his YouTube channels. Uh, it's got some great stuff. So go ahead and tell me, uh, tell the listeners where they can find you. Yeah, it's, it sounds uh, narcissistic and silly, but I just use my name for everything. So my website's ZachGriffith.com. My Instagram's ZachGriffith. My, you know, my name is just Z-A-C-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. It's, uh, uh, pretty easy to find with Google or whatever. Um, but yeah, I do. I've got a lot of YouTube content that I put out. Uh, my, my wife and I have our own channel about our relationship and her learning how to hunt and some of the fun things that we run into. So it's a little bit lighter side of my life, but I'm definitely uh, engaged heavily in social media. So, um, you know, if you're looking for content, it's there, whether you like it or not, it's just a different subject. So. <laughs> well, it sounds good, buddy. Um, take care. I'm glad you were able to come on today and, and share with us. And I look forward to our next conversation um so sounds good okay yeah thanks again jay i appreciate the opportunity all right buddy god bless i'll talk to you later likewise take care